The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. To the ghosts out in the hall. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone with my co-host, Lauren Beller-Blake, CEO of BigFishNation.com. How are you this morning, Lauren? Good morning, Catherine. I'm doing well. I'm a little tired, but I'm good. Well, we're all a little tired, but <laughs> for you? different reasons. I know you've been to a huge conference. I just had insomnia all night. So oh, you did. That's the worst. Mine is not as exciting as yours, but the show today is going to be exciting. At least I hope it is. We have Dr. Dale Archer. And he's a psychiatrist, an expert on addictions, all kinds of addictions, um, drug addiction, sex addiction, alcohol addiction. Um, he has a website, drdalearcher.com, and he's also a radio personality. Also, this is the doctor day. We have uh, Dr. Margaret McCraw. She's a psychotherapist. She's a social worker. She has a Ph.D. And she, her new book is called The Relationship Code. And uh, she's going to be talking to us about uh, her book, The Relationship Code, uh, Engage and Empower People with Purpose and Passion, which is what we're all about. Fun. So, but first, let's turn to your blog. Uh, and by the way, everyone, you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. Did I say that? Sometimes I, I forget to say that. that, and it's really important. You said it now. Okay. Anyway, okay, looking at, we, last week you and I, Lauren, we were talking about um, you're the business expert, you're the coach, you um, empower women, particularly women entrepreneurs, um, and one of the things that I think is a concern for women is that if they demonstrate certain qualities of, of maybe compassion or deference to others or those kinds of things in their businesses, that they will be viewed upon as weak. Yeah. And and you and you kind of alluded to this last week, but that's not necessarily true. It's exactly the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. You know, the person that admits that they're um, having challenges and having trouble and um, maybe sheds a tear even and tells the truth, in my opinion, and the opinion of many, many others, is actually the real leader. And it's, I think it's hard for us as women to admit that because it's vulnerable. It's scary. I think it is difficult to admit it, but you're saying that you say there are a lot of other people, other business people who have written about, I mean, have actually proven. Yeah. Talk about demonstrating. Yeah. You know, so some I of these told things. you yesterday that we, I was at the Maria Shriver um, Women's Conference in California yesterday. And, you know, here she was explaining the truth about her tenure as First Lady is getting to coming to an end, and she has no clue where she's going to go next. And she's admitting it in front of 15,000 people live. And here I am talking about it. You know, she's like on the edge of tears saying, I don't know. You're all asking me. And the truth is, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, here's an Oprah. Oprah was there last night. You know, she closed the night. And um, she was, she didn't do this last night, but, you know, she was introduced by Maria Shriver as the woman that 
was telling that told the truth about her struggles with weight and continues to have that tr- struggle, that challenge. You know, she was real about her challenges. Although there's one thing that's different when you're the, and I'll say, the average person or the average woman uh, is looking at Oprah, is looking at Maria Shriver, and they're saying, well, okay, you can get up there and admit that maybe, you know, talk about your your weaknesses because you've made it to the top. So there's a whole lot of stuff that goes before you're admitting that you don't know where you're going next. Well, you don't know where you're going next, Maria Shriver, but you've been married to the governor of California. You're a Kennedy. Uh, we can list a whole a lot of things. Well, you're I, author, would, you're all I would back things. up and say, you know, at, as a young child, you know, were we brought up to be sharing and exposing and being vulnerable about who we are and what we, you know, what's going on with us? I think most of the time we're not. I think most of the time we're told by our parents not to talk about certain things or, oh, just brush it off, you're just fine, um, and never acknowledged for what's truly going on for us. And I think it starts really at a young age of, so to go back and Maria Shriver, I don't know. My sense is probably she was probably taught to, you know, be honest, yet at the same time do her best. How honest do you think Maria Shriver was when she was, she was a journalist before this, and That's she right. gave up that. She was on television. She was really good. I mean, this is and when her husband, when she married, I don't know at what point when he became uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, became governor of California, then she gave up that career and became the first lady of, Cal- of uh, California. But you have to wonder when she was climbing up that ladder to success, do you think she showed these vulnerabilities in the same way? I think it's, you know, it, 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 I don't know that Maria Shriver and Oprah are good examples. <laughs> You're so funny. I actually think so. Um, there's another woman that is someone that I've known for five or six years now, 2005 I met her, and she's a big fish. And she is in the financial planning business. Actually, she's the person in my blog that I speak of. But I don't name her. She's the one that blurted out really loudly and burst out, that sounds like a loser. And I'm so glad because it sounds like me. And this woman has been a pioneer, a, literally a pioneer in the financial advising world for 35 years. And she didn't get there by, you know, if any fame. She got there by doing a lot of hard work, and what she's realizing is one of the things she did wrong was act like a guy, is what she always said. I always bucked up and tried to be one of them, and what my mistake was is I wasn't being true to who I truly was in my real challenges. All right, well, let's talk about some of those things that she, I mean, I'm assuming, going to the blog, going to your blog, that the things that she did that she thinks that she feels are positive and not bucking up and not trying to be like a man, trying to be like a woman. Let's just name some of those specifically, like apologizing, deferring to others, avoiding shortcuts, telling the truth, offering kindness. This sounds like a social worker. Seek alliances. <laughs> um, you know, I knew you were going to love this blog. Yeah, it's volunteer. I mean, all of these things sound very feminine. And I don't know necessarily they sound like a loser, but they do not sound like somebody who's going to make it on Wall Street, or someone who's going to make it as an entrepreneur. Um, well, I love that it wasn't just me saying it, that I literally was um, quoting Seth Godin, who, a guy who was writing about these traits. And that was part of the strategy. Is I, if I had posted these exactly like this, it would have been not as powerful as having quoting a male leader in, on leadership. How do you think this sits with Men, I mean, do you think that... I think our leadership... I, mean, I do. Really I think wanna, our leadership... You and I have had this discussion before. If you really want to look at 
you really want to look at people who are, or individuals who are successful, who make a lot of money, it's still the men who make a lot of money. That is true. Money. I agree Women with that. start more businesses, I think, it, it, statistically, because I was looking at some of this before the show, but they don't end up making the same kind of money. No, and that's actually a major issue, but I'm not talking about much. So I agree with that 100%, but I don't believe that our leadership style, I think our leadership style has changed over the years, and we've changed who we um, want as leaders in our world. And I do think the money will follow accordingly. I just think we're not there yet. I think it's going to take some time for that bell, tur- that bell curve, and um, I think it's going to take time to catch it up. So I, I don't – there's people that make a lot of money that do these things as well. There's absolutely people that make a lot of money that do these things. I think it's critical to apologize and, make, and when we make mistakes. We, every single one of us d- does make mistakes. It, has, it makes us human. All right, apologize, I agree. That was the first one we mentioned. Well, what about deferring to others? What does that mean, like deferring to others? In other words, to not think that you know all the answers. So when you, in the moment that you think that you're, there's a better person to answer the question, point to that person and have them speak. Have them be able to be the leader on that particular question or topic. Have them lead the project if they're better at it than you are. Defer to other strengths. What about telling the truth? I don't find that anybody tells the truth. <laughs> telling the truth, I mean, seriously, especially in business, there's always like telling three-quarters of the truth or maybe even eight-ninths of the truth. But, the, but in, in business, it seems to me, in the, especially in major big corporations, but also in just you know, medium-sized businesses, people don't tell the truth. They kind of... They don't tell the truth to their coworker. They don't tell the truth to their boss. There's a lot of manipulation. I mean, I think there's more manipulation now, and one is able to do that because of all the tools we have available than there ever was in order to be successful. You manipulate. Uh, I hear you, and um, I think it's not a good quality leader that ultimately the leader that tells the truth is going to be more transparent and more acceptable by their um, clients and customers. I don't, you know, if you're feeling deceived or deceptive, you know, deceived by a company that you're doing business with, does it make you want to do business again? Well, now, if you're talking about a company, that's different. But what kind of, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't of, want to feel deceived. leaders of the company. So what? if a leader of a company is saying something to you, whether it's even a clerk at a store, if you're feeling deceived by that person, you're probably not going to want to go back there. It just doesn't feel good. If you're aware of it, if, you, if you're able to, you know, to sense it or to be aware of it. You may not be aware of it. That's the thing. I mean, especially in some of these businesses. I mean, you don't really know that you're necessarily being deceived. I, think, I do think that leadership has changed over the years and is changing. I think we're in a very um, trans, transitional time period in our lifetime that leadership is becoming a very different beast. Because of where we've been, it's no longer acceptable to us as, as humans anymore. To well, what about the, politicians? They're, I agree with I mean, that. I don't I know that they're any worse than they ever were, if you look at history, but it seems to me they're deceiving us all the time. Those are leaders. Yeah. Those are supposedly our leaders who represent us. And, and the deception seems to be rampant. I agree with it, and I actually think that it, it, we have to stop. I, it has to stop. Our politics, I think, are the worst. I, and I don't think I agree with you. I don't think they're any um, worse than they've ever been, but I think they're horrible. And I think that we have to send that message that we want people to tell the truth. We want honesty. We want transparency. Is it possible? <laughs> I, I don't know if it's possible. I don't know if it's ultimately possible, but I, these are just traits to, I think, move towards versus away from. 
So do you think business schools, for instance, you take the top business schools in the country, Stanford, Harvard, uh, Wharton, uh, do you think that this is the kind of thing that they're teaching, like demonstrating staying You know, this to me is not business information. It's leadership information. And I'm wondering if they're even talking about leadership in colleges. I'm not sure they are. In undergraduate, but I was just talking, but maybe, oh, I don't, well, undergraduate business schools, that would be a good example. Do they talk about leadership? I think they need to start it in elementary school. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, what's a leader? You take charge and you are responsible. And, you know, we're all leaders. That's, I think, the most important message is every single human on this planet is a leader. And what, what kind of leader are we choosing to be? Are we choosing to be an honest, powerful leader or are we choosing to be a deceptive leader? And I think at three, you can start to have those conversations. You lead. You, lead, you take charge. What, how do you want, you, what's the game you want to play right now? You lead. You take charge. Do you think we have that choice? I do. I do. If we get into a... Well, I'm going to leave it with that question. <laughs> <laughs> because our guest, our first guest is coming up, Dr. Dale Archer, psychiatrist, um, radio personality, author and a specialist in addiction and treating addictions. So don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone with Lauren Beller-Lake. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. He'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnist. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Zoom Leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom Leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom Leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? 
Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone with my co-host, Lauren Beller-Blake. And joining us this morning is Dr. Dale Archer. You can go to his website, drdalearcher.com. He is a psychiatrist. Uh, and an expert on many things, but uh, w- one of his areas of expertise is addictions. And that's what we're going to talk about today, because addictions seem to be everywhere, whether it's drug addictions, sex addictions, alcohol addictions, uh, I-, I would say food addictions. We are an addicted society, so I think this is an important topic. Uh, Dr. Archer at one time thought he was going to be a philosopher, I guess get a Ph.D. in philosophy, but decided to become a psychiatrist. We're glad you did. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Dr. Archer. So great to be here. And I must say you're also a radio personality, and you, you can, we've heard you on CNN and Fox News, etc. But, okay, addiction. We are an addicted. Well, first of all, I want to ask you, why did you decide to become a psychiatrist and what piqued your interest in addictions specifically? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I started uh, college at Tulane planning to be a philosopher, as you said, and uh, <laughs> I hate to tell this story sometimes because it reflects badly upon me. At, at the end, I'd done an honors thesis and uh, worked with the professor throughout that and really enjoyed doing it, and uh, we're sitting down talking about my future, and he goes, you know, this year there were uh, 471 Ph.D. graduates in philosophy looking for 18 jobs, and he looked at me and he goes, you're good, but you're not that good. <laughs> And I go, oops. <laughs> so I had uh, had some interest in medicine and had taken pre-med courses along the way. And he had been my advisor. He said, I really, really think you would be a great doctor, and I would advise you to, to go in that direction. But make sure never to forget your philosophy and always to use that going forward. So I think philosophy and medicine, you put that together and you end up with psychiatry. Yeah, it does. It makes a lot of sense because yeah. uh, philosophy, interested in people, that's more global. Psychiatry is more one-on-one. Yes. So you chose the right profession, profession now psychiatrist. and um, But now why addictions? Let's get specifically. Let's talk about that. Why addiction? Why, why, are, uh, why, why is it necessary? Because I really think it is to talk about uh, addictions and treating addictions. And, and I, I keep saying I think we are an addictive society, not just individuals, the whole society. Well, when, when I started practicing psychiatry back in the uh, early 90s, uh, I was in a medium-sized town. I was a general psychiatrist, so I did a little bit of everything, which I enjoyed. And uh, what I found over the years is that addiction has become a bigger and bigger problem in America, and it's mainly because 
of the narcotic painkillers, which, of course, are legal drugs. They're prescribed, and people think, well, how could I have a problem if a doctor prescribes a drug? Well, if you abuse it, of course, you can. So as time has gone on and research has really been focusing on this uh, and the cutting-edge DNA and genetic aspect of these illnesses, the one thing that we've come to understand is that there's a brain chemical that's called dopamine. And dopamine is now found to be a role in all types of addiction, drug, alcohol, sex, Internet, gambling, shopping. And what we're understanding is a lot of things we're thinking of before as obsessions or compulsions were really addictions. And, of course, the latest is food addiction as being a big problem in terms of people who have weight issues. So I think addiction is really going to be a big part of the future of psychiatry. But, Doctor, um, I have to interrupt you because when you say that dopamine is the cause of these addictions, and can you measure Dopamine, can you measure, the, is there a certain amount of dopamine in our brains that each one of us should have so that we won't become addicted? No, and, we're, and I didn't say dopamine necessarily was the cause. We know dopamine is related. We know there is a dopamine issue in the pleasure reward system of people that develop addiction problems. Look, this is so early in the research stage that we don't really know what we're going to find because in the dopamine system itself, It covers all areas of the brain from the limbic system to the frontal lobes and realize that there are dopamine chemicals, there are receptors, there are transmitters that release it. Uh, So the system is unfathomably complex. But what we're finding is that dysregulation and the gene that's being looked at is called the dopamine transporter gene. And that's where we're finding in these individuals some abnormalities that is suggesting that this is going to be a link. But, in, but that's about all we can say right now. See, I don't see how that fits. Let's take the addiction to food. And why now, say, in the, I mean, if, I guess I have trouble with it because if, if we're saying that somehow our addictions are related to this dopamine, doesn't that take away our responsibility for choosing our behaviors? People can say, well, it's not my fault. You know, I have this dopamine problem or it's, it's part will, of my DNA. I will tell you that that is one of the biggest problems in mental health today, and it is a huge issue not only with addiction not, but also with the Axis One psychiatric diagnoses, the bipolar, the schizophrenics. Oh, it's not my fault. I'm bipolar. Oh, well, I'm clinically depressed. I just couldn't get up and go to work. Oh, well, I'm an addict. Poor me. I can't do it. So the big thing that I found is that 25 years ago, no one wanted to acknowledge a psychiatric problem or an addiction. It was hidden. People were embarrassed to go and get help. And today, unfortunately, the pendulum has swung the other way. It's gone from being stigmatized to glamorized. And we're in a situation now where people are indeed using this and saying, it's not my fault, to advocate their personal responsibility. You know, I always say, you cannot control the cards you're dealt just the way you play the hand. Your genetics are what they are. Your personal responsibility will be there no matter what to make the most out of your life. And I I agree with you. I think that one of the issues, and I think if you take the food addiction, I mean, that's a good example because that's you can see it, and you see if, you know, 50% of the people in the United States are overweight, another 20% are obese, whatever the statistics are, it wasn't true 50 years ago. So where does this come from? This, you know, these are choices that people are making, it would seem to be, not necessarily related to, you know, to a chemical imbalance. 
Well, okay. <clears throat> obviously, people do have the choices, and obviously the amount of food that's out there that's unhealthy now is infinitely greater than it was 50 years ago. Our lifestyle was very different 50 years ago in, in that there was much more uh, hard work that was involved, and now we've become uh, much less of a hardworking society, more of a thinking society. So there are a lot of things that go into that. But remember, the dopamine is part of the pleasure-reward system in the brain. And just like someone who has a genetic predisposition to alcoholism may never become an alcoholic if they never take a drink. So it's the same would hold with food. If you have someone who has a predisposition to becoming overweight, yet they're never exposed to the trash, fast food, and all of the garbage foods that are out there in the world today, well, then they may never have had a problem. Again, I am on board with you with personal responsibility. No one preaches that more than I do. No one says, look, the genetics are coming, we're understanding it, but that is in no way, shape, or form a pass for you to say, oh, woe is me, I can't do it. It's the same with heart disease. We know that heart disease has a huge genetic component to it. That doesn't mean that people who have a strong tendency toward cardiovascular disease don't have to exercise and diet and do all the things they can because they can make a difference in their longevity. And I think it's the same with the mental health issues as well. All right. So let, we've talked, one addiction is the food addiction. Let's take some of the other addictions though. What is this addiction about sex addiction? I mean, this, uh, this is a new one. Is this Uh, I guess Tiger Woods helped popularize that for uh, America and the world. And, you know, sex addiction, as you know, is not in the psychiatric diagnostic manual at this point. With the new one that's coming out in about a year, it almost certainly will be in there. And I think that there are individuals that do have a sex addiction, plain and simple. Now, we are seeing across the board many individuals using that as an excuse to be able to try to get off with their wife and say, honey, it's not my fault. I'm a sex addict. You see, that's what the problem is. And I don't think Tiger Woods was a sex addict because we define addiction as, A, it has to be a compulsive and repetitive behavior. Okay, he did that. But it also has to take the place of family, friends, and career. Now, you could argue that maybe he wasn't spending as much time with his family as he should have, but his career was at an all-time high. This was the best golfer in the world. So clearly, this was not an activity that kept him from performing at the level he did on the golf course. And a sex addict, and I have treated sex addicts, I mean, they are thinking and going about procuring sex literally all day long. They will have thousands of porn DVDs. They will be going out with prostitutes daily. Their job falls by the wayside. Their family is gone. So, you know what? I think in Tiger's case that he was probably on the way to becoming that, but I do not think that he was there. So when your definition of a sex addict or the sex addicts that you treated are, let's say, a nymphomaniac, that was kind of an old term, this is for women, I guess, who were nymphomaniacs, and that was kind of the description of a sex addict? Well, a nymphomaniac, of course, is a very old term, which we don't use anymore. You know, the, the, the woman who couldn't get enough and just, you know, always wanted more, more, more sex. Um, again, when we talk about addiction, we talk about consequences. And it's not enough just to say that someone, you know, is having four drinks a night, seven nights a week, that's going to make him an alcoholic. There have to be effects in the way he chooses to lead his life, and there have to be problems with family, friends, career, or physical health. Now, with the alcohol, of course, you do it long enough, you are going to have physical health problems. We know that. But with all of these things, 
If the activity is something that the individual can regulate, they have a place and a time for it, but they still maintain all of the other aspects of their life, then that's not an addiction. They are basically an abuser if it's a drug, for example, or alcohol, perhaps shopping or gambling, but the addiction takes control of the life. So, Dr. Archer, what would you say is the greatest or the most difficult addiction to overcome? In your alcohol, opinion. alcohol without a doubt. And it's not that it's the hardest to kick because heroin is harder to kick. Even cigarettes are harder to kick. Uh, but the problem with alcohol is that it is legal and obtainable anywhere in the world. And all of these other drugs are, by and large, illegal. So they're hard to get. And if you limit the individual's contacts and their friends, say, look, you've got to get rid of your drug using friends because that's going to be part of your problem in facing your sobriety. That's a big part right there of getting them away from that climate. The alcohol is such a big problem because you can't go anywhere without people drinking. So given that, uh, what, are there any suggestions for what to do to help prevent people from becoming alcoholics? Or what can we can do about the problem? I mean, if it, I mean is, or is there anything as a... As a as a culture that we can do to, I, I don't know what the statistics are in terms of how many alcoholics we have in this country. Do you? Well, I, I, I can't give you an outright number, but I can tell you we are making a huge difference already in that. You know, there, there are two sides to this equation. Number one, people can choose to do what they want to do with their bodies. And if you want to stay home every night, you know, drink a fifth of scotch, get up, go to work the next morning, you have family, you have uh, a career, and that's your lifestyle. You don't drink and drive. You never put anyone at risk except for yourself. Then there's a big moral issue. Do we as a society want to mandate treatment for that individual who really is causing no problems for anyone except for himself? But with alcohol, of course, the problem comes is that that is very often not the case. There is physical violence associated with it, and most importantly, there's drinking and driving associated with it. But education is the key. And a wonderful statistic that I love to throw out when people say, well, you know, just talking about it isn't enough. Sometimes talking is more than enough because if you look at the stats for drunk driving and go back to 1980, and then there was the founding of Mothers Against Drunk Driving and the big educational push. Of course, Candy Leitner, the founder, lost her daughter to a drunk driver and made it her life's cause to try to make sure that this would never occur to anybody else ever again. But the stats have gone from 35,000 deaths from drunk driving fatalities down to 12,000 deaths over the last 30 years. So I think that we are making a difference. Where it matters most in that we don't want the people first and foremost to be harming anyone else. All right, so that's good news. We've made progress. We're going to take a, we're going to take a, uh, a break for a couple minutes and uh, talking to Dr. Dale Archer, psychiatrist and uh, who specializes in treating addictions, all kinds of addictions. Uh, you're listening to the Catherine Zock Show. I'm a social, your social worker with a microphone with Lauren Deller Blake. World Talk Radio and VoiceAmericaVariety.com. We'll be back in a minute. Don't go away. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I think we're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and uh, with my co-host, Lauren Beller-Blake, World Talk Radio and VoiceAmericaVariety.com. We are talking to Dr. Dale Archer, and Dr. Archer, you can go to his website, drdalearcher.com, which he's an expert in uh, addictions, and if you go to his, your website, Dr. Archer, was, you started that in 2009. It's a free internet-based advice and blog community that combines common sense guidance and medical expertise. Um, It's quite a, it's a very informative website, and I, my question is, what made, what, how did you decide to do this? Why do you do this? What kind of response have you gotten from your website? Because all this information, um, it's, it's updated, it's out there. Uh, talk to us about the website. Yeah, the it's, uh, I, I wrote, uh, I've done a lot of local and regional media. I'm from Louisiana, uh, born in uh, New Orleans. Yeah. And uh, I, I got involved in media, but had some talk radio shows and a talk TV show and things like that on a regional level down in the Louisiana, Texas area. And uh, I was also writing a column uh, at one point, and in order to get questions for the column, the uh, uh, newspaper had put, you know, a small little uh, section of their website, which generated a little. I thought, you know, I really want to get better questions to be able to do this column better. I think I'm just going to form my own website, and then I'll just use it for the column. Well, I did that, and it took on a life of its own, and it ended up becoming, uh, you know, bigger than the, the column in the newspaper and, and all of that. And so it's just a way for me to be able to try to get back people that have a question that maybe they don't need to, to an appointment to a, a psychiatrist or a therapist and they just have a single problem in their life they want to address. Of course, sometimes it's worse than that, and I have to say, look, you really need professional help, and you need to go see someone. But, but that's how it started, and uh, I put the blog on there, and it's just... Uh, been growing and it, I, I love it. It's just a lot of fun. So, what's the, what would you say is the most of all the, of the questions that you get? Are there any common threads to the kinds of questions that um, that your readers are are asking you? Well, I, 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 we have different 
uh, sections. So, I mean, we have a section on addiction. We have a section on relationships. We have a section on personal problems. Um, and so uh, each section tends to take on a life of its own. I think that the biggest number of questions that come in that are similar are on the relationship side where folks are involved in a bad marriage, it's abusive, or a girlfriend-boyfriend situation, and the answer is so clear and obvious to anyone, anyone with common sense reading the thing saying, look, this is a bad relationship, you've got to get out of that now, and they're right again and saying, what should I do? So I find that a lot of times folks really know the answer to their problems within, and they just want an expert to quote-unquote confirm what they already know. So I, I would say on the relationship side, we, we get a lot of questions like that. So they want you to validate what they already know. and then they, the doctor- Yeah, they want a professional to say, uh, this relationship is bad, it's horrible, and you need to get out now because otherwise someone's going to get hurt. Because a lot of times these are abusive and violent individuals that are in there. Um, it, it, some of them are scary. Well, do you get any kind of follow-up? I'm like people are asking you these questions. You're on the net. You're on, you know, on the doing the blog. But um, and as you say, some of these these situations are pretty scary. I mean, they involve violence and and all kinds of abuse and uh, with children and spouses. And so, what kind of follow? Is there any kind, you know, follow-up that you get? I don't know, and I make it very, very clear uh, in the terms and conditions of the site that I'm not a, I'm not your treating psychiatrist. Uh, there's no doctor-patient relationship here. You know, this is for a one-time piece of advice. However, we do encourage the individuals who have received advice to give us an update down the road. And so often we do get those updates that come in saying, you know what, you were right, and I got out, and everything's fine, or. Well, I thought I was going to try to stick it out, and here it is, uh, you know, six months later, and uh, the problems aren't any better. So uh, we like to get the follow-up, but it's very fine line, because if you start getting follow-up every day, you go from giving one piece of advice to being a treating doctor, and, of course, trying to treat anyone on the Internet is, is just not a good idea at all. No, I mean, that could be a danger. That's, that's Absolutely. Yeah, not Absolutely. something you want to do. But right. it's drdalearcher.com. So if yeah. listeners, you can go to the blog. You can go to the website now. Um, I have to ask, one of the things that apparently that you do, and you are really good at it, is uh, playing poker. <laughs> now, the first thing I think about, Dr. Archer, poker, addiction, is this how you got, is this, was this what fostered your interest in addictions? Did you have a poker addiction? Or <laughs> I, could have, I could have had a poker addiction at one point. I, you know, I got involved in uh, poker uh, online back, I guess, in around 2002, 2003, just as a fun hobby, and I ended up winning a trip to the and the entry uh, to the World Series of Poker in 2004 with everything paid for. And I thought, well, great, it's a $10,000 entry fee, and all my, my fee and my hotel and everything was paid for. And I thought it was a week. Oh, I'll just go play in it. Well, I went and played, and there were 2,600 players. And, of course, this is the World Championship of Poker. The guy that wins it is considered the uh, world champion for the year. And I ended up at a 2,600. I finished 11th in the world. So at that point, I go, and I won a lot of money doing it. I thought, well, this is 
maybe something to consider for more than just a hobby. So at one point for a couple of years in there, I went through a divorce and you know you do all the soul searching about what do I do now and where do I go with my life. I did play poker for a while for a couple of years, thought about playing professionally, but at some point just realized, you know, sitting on your rear for uh, 8 to 12 hours a day, 6, 7 days a week is really not a very fun way to, to uh, A, make a living and B, contribute to society and decided I'd be better off. Doing Sticking to my, psychiatry, but I still have to ask you, was there any point where you felt like, I could become addicted to this? This is something... Well, I think that there are professional gamblers that play poker for a living, and they do have to play to successfully and make a living at it. You probably need to play about 60, 70, 80 hours a week. But on the other hand, this is their career. This is their job. They're getting paid to do this. They're making money. This is how they support themselves and their families. So, you know what? You really can't look at an activity like that when you could look at a Wall Street uh, banker, for example, who's working 100-hour weeks in his job to support his family. So I don't think that addiction really qualifies there. Again, when we use addiction, there have to be adverse effects to family, friends, career, and it has to be because you were putting the time into the addiction, effort into the addiction and not into the other areas of your life. If this is your career, it becomes a very different case. Now, if you have someone who is not successful applying and they're putting all that time in and they're continuing to lose money and they've alienated everyone in their life in order to try to make this work, then that could very well be a different situation. Right. So there's a very there's a distinction between earning a living playing poker and and playing poker and actually losing your money and not earning a living and preventing yeah, and which a living. Is, I mean, the average guy who goes to Vegas, I mean, they see the TV shows about poker. They've read the Chris Moneymaker story, you know, the rags to riches and winning $5 million. And uh, he ended up actually, he won the tournament that I finished 11th in the year before. Um, and that's when poker just went crazy because his total expenditure was $40 and he ends up winning uh, close to $5 million. So, um, the average person would go out to Vegas and think, yeah, I'm going to be a poker star because I'm pretty good at poker. Now, if that person goes there, they quit their job, they go out there, they start playing poker, which playing poker for a living is vastly harder than you can imagine. And they start losing everything they own in order to continue to play. Well, then, yeah, they have crossed that line. But it's important to note, everyone who drinks doesn't become an alcoholic. Everyone who gambles doesn't become a gambling addict. Right, we this is my we have a couple more minutes left. So you're a psychiatrist, you're an expert on addictions, you're a radio personality, a television personality, you now have this blog, website. What's next for you? Well, I'm uh, a rock, writing a book, which actually just got bought by a Random House, um, and uh, it's going to be talking a little bit about what you brought up earlier, the fact that as genetics and DNA start to become more prevalent in modern uh, mental health, there is a tendency for people to abdicate their personal responsibility and say, well, it's not me, it's, it's my condition. So this is basically looking at what I call the normal box, and I feel that over the last 30 years that America has tried to make this normal box smaller and smaller and smaller and cram everyone into the box called normal. Oh, and if you can't fit there, then we have a medication that will make you fit into the normal box, and that means the abnormal universe becomes vastly bigger. So I address the fact that I think that it's gone way overboard, that 
uniqueness and creativity in a human being are what make us all special. And if you try to please everyone and conform to the norm, you're going to lose your uniqueness and hence your greatness. But what about the pharmaceutical companies? What about all the billions of dollars that are being made on drugging people for whatever we define the problem or addiction or whatever it is? There's a lot of money to be made in, in, uh, in, these, in medication. Well, I have to be very careful what I say here because that is going to be in my book, and I do address the pharmaceutical industry, but all I will say is that hundreds of billions of dollars of profit are at stake if you can convince people that they need to be normal and take a drug to get there. So I will let your listeners um, extrapolate from there what I'll be talking a little bit about, more about in my book. All right, so we're going to be waiting for your book, Dr. Dale Archer. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. I loved it. You guys are the best. Thanks. And you can go, I just want to say again, go to his website, go to drdalearcher.com. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. And coming up next is Dr. Margaret McCraw. Uh, We're going to be talking about her new book, The Relationship Code. Uh, Don't go away. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, joining us this morning is Dr. Margaret McCraw. She's author of The Relationship Code, Engage and Empower People with Purpose and a Passion. Now, did you know that more than 54% of Americans fight with people close to them because of stress? I didn't know the percentage, but I did know that. That people with positive social relationships recover from illness faster and that people who have a best friend at work are seven times more likely to be engaged in their jobs. Uh, these are questions and comments that uh, we're going to be talking to Dr. McCraw about. She's the Ph.D. and MBA, and she has an, uh, an MSW, actually an LCSW, Nationally Recognized Business Consultant, Educator, and Therapist, Psychotherapist, 
25 years of experience, and she is uh, the founder and president of Behavioral Healthcare Consulting. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you. It's nice to be here. All right. Well, stress, relationships, communication, um, the relationship code, engage and empower people with purpose and passion. Uh, Dr. McGraw, what, first of all, tell us, your motivation for writing the book and uh, the purpose of the book. Well, the, thanks. That's a gr- that's a good question because for many many years I realized, just in personal relationships and in the professional relationships, that the key issue that people have is struggling with somebody in their life. Sometimes it's one person, sometimes it's two, but it's the kind of thing that seems to cause the greatest pain for people. And I have seen people in my life, personally and professionally, who have literally gotten sick from not being able to resolve relationship issues. Give us an example of that, because I think you're absolutely on target. I mean, I know that's true for me. I'm having difficult. I mean, I can be having difficulty with my partner, my boyfriend, or the, the, even my cleaning lady. I mean, it doesn't matter who it is. No, it doesn't. And it it causes stress. Yeah. It does, and I personally have experience, so I'm not writing this just as a therapist. I'm writing this as a real person who's been through um, every, you know, all this, all the same thing that everybody else has. Um, a, a kind of, a, it's maybe a dramatic example, but I've seen this numerous times. I was actually coaching a woman. She called me because she um, was want, she wanted some help. She was diagnosed with cancer. And she wanted me to coach her through this four-step model that I work with, which is all about aligning your thoughts, your emotions, and beliefs so that you come into balance. And as you come into balance in your consciousness, Catherine, you come into balance physically, okay? So I was teaching her this method, but... Um, and sometimes I don't get into the details of what brought people out of balance. Um, sometimes it isn't necessary, sometimes it is. And because sometimes they've resolved it, and the illness started years ago before the issue got resolved. And so I was working with her, and I kept feeling that there was some issue, nagging issue with um, someone, a child in her life particularly. I didn't really know anything personally about this lady. I was just teaching her my four-step model. And so... As I was talking with her, she told me that, yes, she did have stepchildren. And then um, I said, well, there's one issue. Oh, I can tell you, I'm very intuitive. And so I was working with her. I said, there's an issue with one of them, isn't there? And she said, yes. She went on to tell me that there was a child um, when she and her husband had parted, had separated and divorced, that the stepchildren were very close to her, but there was one of them that had been on drugs and had been living with her. And so she eventually asked her to leave, and they were never able to resolve some of the personal issues with them, between them. And so um, this child had gone on to commit suicide. This child was about 15 when she killed herself. And so the woman I spoke with, when I I first said to her, there's something, I I can feel it, I can see there's something going on that causes imbalance in your body. And, And so when we talked about this relationship, it was so clear. She had a huge release in her life, a major release. She cried and cried and cried and cried. And I think she just cried out all the toxins, to be honest. And then at that point, she could begin to get her body back in balance, Catherine, because she had at least released some of the pain. 
And then well, we worked out. Well, I mean, this is a very dramatic example. Of, this is a dramatic example. Yeah. But what I see all the time is that people have issues. They have physical issues. And when I go out to lunch or dinner or I work with them in the professional setting, what do people talk about? They, to- they talk about at lunch and dinner what's going wrong in their relationships with their boss, their coworker, somebody who reports to them they feel is sabotaging them. It, it doesn't, a neighbor that's irritating them. That's what they talk about. That is what is on their mind. And that energy that's going into these nagging relationship issues that are unresolved, it's, it's literally making us sick. So, all right, tell us, Dr. McGraw, what do we do? How do in your book? We 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 get the book. We we follow the principles of the book, and I guess you're you talking. You define it as the uh, harmonic system, which is the the harmonic match. Harmonic, system. yes, yes. Because what we're doing is we're getting into harmony with our desires. So we're matching our harmony with desires rather than matching our energy with our fears, with the things that disappoint us. With the things, see, when we keep talking about and energizing what's not working for us, then we we get into harmony with what's not working with us, and we keep attracting more and more and more of the same, and it it begins to surround us. So I'm teaching this book how you come into harmony with more of what you want. Well, you're very specific in the book, and we have time to at least address some of these. Like you talk about creating positive self-fulfilling prophecies, and then that's going to relieve some of the stress and we're going to feel better. But exactly what is that and how is that going to help us if we create positive self-fulfilling prophecies? Well, the self-fulfilling prophecy, it really does exist. There's numerous psychological studies to show that. And it's essentially what we believe is what we begin to attract. Have you ever had an experience, Catherine, with somebody where, You've had um, maybe one kind of relationship with that person, and somebody else has a different kind of relationship with that person. Um, maybe it's a coworker. Maybe you know where you know it's there's some you, you maybe the two of you maybe get along nicely, and a coworker um, doesn't get along with that person very well. They keep bumping into the same issues over and over again, power struggles, whatever. We tend to attract aspects of people that we energize and we believe. So if I am get if I am having trouble with getting along with a boss and I feel they're constantly trying to control me. And the more I keep talking about it and believing that that person's a control freak and I tell everybody I know, I go home and I tell my spouse that person's a control freak, the more I ingrain that in my mind, then we believe it, okay? And the belief gets more and more powerful. As we believe it, the subconscious mind, and this means understanding a little bit about the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind is a dutiful servant. Whatever the conscious mind tells the subconscious mind, the subconscious mind helps us create those synchronicities in our life. So when that person is really at their worst, the person that we're, uh, we feel is controlling, that we have these issues with, when they are at their worst, we will be lined up vibrationally, harmonically with that person to spend time, more time with them. Does that make sense? In a meeting, whatever. And let me give you another example that might make this more crystal clear. We're really talking about the vibes that we put out. So I'm going to take it out of the human factor for a second and just say if you have an instrument in a room, Catherine, and you strike the C chord on any one of those instruments or you strike the D chord or whatever chord you strike, in the room, all the same chords will vibrate untouched by human hand because they are in harmony with the chord that has been struck. Okay? 
that's a great example. Yeah. Uh, you, and, but we, we have about two minutes left, so we've oh. been able at least to get to the first one, create positive self-fulfilling prophecies. Um, but, and I, I assume that we have wet our listeners' appetites. I want to make sure that they, you can buy your book at bookstores yes. everywhere, online. The relate, we've been talking about the relationship code, the author, Dr. Margaret McCraw, the relationship code, engage and empower people with purpose and passion. Uh, great book and a very practical book. Thank you. Um, I've been using it with organizations that I do consulting with, the human services departments. Human resources have um, found it very helpful. So, so the, it's good for organizations, corporations, and individuals. Thanks yes. for being on the show today. Yes, yes. And great you know, Catherine, you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone with Lauren Deller Blake. Our guest has been Dr. Margaret McGraw. You're listening to World Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.